Gen X Playback, episode number 33. Welcome to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And Sean, do you know who we're playing here? No clue. Okay. The name Does the name Roberta Flack and Maxie Priest mean anything to sure. you? Sure, yeah. So Roberta Flack was very big, very slow, soulful R&B singer in the 1970s. Late 70s, yeah. And um, although she was a... a consistent recording artist she didn't really have any hit songs this was a little bit of a comeback song she probably could have made our comeback list that we did a few episodes ago um this was done in 1991 so she was gone from the charts for about 15 years came back with this duet with maxi priest and it ended up uh the the name of her album was set the night to music and it was a nice nice little comeback for roberta flack who happens to hail from arlington virginia who is one of our uh, long-time listening uh, groups for the Gen X Playback Show. Oh, okay. That's, you know, educational for me that Roberta Flack was from Arlington, Virginia. Um, I think I've been there. I think at, at, at least one time or another. Um, yeah, probably, you know, part of that major, the, the bigger D.C. area, right? Yeah, it is. And for those of you who uh, are fans of the movie, remember the Titans, uh, the high school T.C. Williams that was set in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. So that was the, um, you know, the one of the bigger high schools, and I actually got to drive past it in my uh, when I was working down there for the branch for the water company that I used to deliver for. So I actually was down in the the um, the branch was not in Arlington, but it was right next to Arlington. So the the routes that they had me run was in and around the Arlington area. So I remember actually driving past. They had a banner up on the high school. It's really cool, old looking high school. Mm-hmm. And they had a banner up, uh, T.C. Williams High School, Home of Remember the Titans. That's so, a great movie. Yeah, sure is. Uh, but Roberta Flack from Arlington, Virginia, I bet you didn't know this, but one of the sweethearts actresses of the 1990s, Sandra Bullock, also hails from Arlington, Virginia. So same high school? I don't know about oh, the same okay. high school. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's the Arlington, Virginia area is, is now part of the Metro D.C. area. Uh, areas you folks in Arlington obviously know but it is a uh, you know it's it's a it's, it's a high traffic area now and there's some nice little pockets there it's still a very picturesque location the Arlington National Cemetery is mm-hmm. located right there um, but there's there's still the town of Arlington which is you know still kind of there's some nice little throwback buildings if you like old architecture there's some pretty cool stuff down there now you, you played Roberta Flack and the it you know, I was trying to think about, you know, my memories for Roberta Flack, you know, mostly from the 70s, mm-hmm. and somebody that, because she was not really part of the MTV era, mm-hmm. um, you didn't really see her. So right. I don't necessarily have a visual of Roberta Flack. Okay. 
I think she, we got to see somebody who was very similar to her have a nice comeback in the 1980s. And I would say the look is kind of similar. You know, the hair was similar in the 70s, and that was Shaka Khan. Okay. Oh, I know. Shaka yeah. Khan. So well, yeah. Yeah, Shaka Khan was with Rufus. And, and, and your Roberta Flack has a distinctive voice. Yes, she does. I mean, so the mom, I mean, I didn't know who it was, obviously, but when you said it, was like, you know, obviously. I mean, they, I, I do remember hearing her on the radio as a kid in the 70s. Yeah, the first time ever I saw your face yep. as a little kid, you know, it's not something mm-hmm. I would have nope. enjoyed, but it... Um, she has a really beautiful voice, and that is probably one of the more heart-wrenching uh, versions uh, of of the song that I've ever listened to. So, and that was that was set back, I think, nineteen seventy four or something like okay. that. Okay. So, um, so you you regular listeners, uh, we did a little bit of a, a follow up on the uh, Pee Wee Herman movie, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So, hopefully, you were able to enjoy that. I, for me, I always when when we uh, did the editing and, and started to play back again, it just kind of makes me smile to, to have some of those funny memories of, of Pee Wee's big adventure. And uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you kind of brought that back from the, uh, from the ashes of the rubble of the 1980s, because it was pretty cool to, to go back and revisit that. Yeah. And you know, Pee Wee's big adventure, while, you know, it was big, you know, we, we talked about it. We kind of gave the history of it in the last episode, I kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, in our previous episode that I hadn't seen it for years where there's certain things you just see all the time. You know, I, I was talking to uh, a coworker about the Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. and that is just something that is on TV all the time. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think my kids have seen it 20 times. And we, and we both commented that we have the same reaction. You know, no matter where the movie is, we pick it up and we watch it to the end. Right, and we were we were reciting lines from it, and you know that's kind of what you do with those movies, just because it's just such a, a part of popular culture right now. Right, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure was for a couple years in the eighties. Um, what do you remember the 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 Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn movie Over Overboard? Absolutely, yeah. Where there was the little kid when a Kurt Russell's little yeah. kids all, would only speak like Pee Wee Herman was always talking like Pee Wee Herman. Sure. Right. And that, I thought know, about that when we were doing the okay. show yesterday. Yeah, or, and, and, yeah. Last week. And so, you know, that's, that's how big he was, you know, where he's even referenced that, that deeply in another movie. And whether it was because of his controversy, you know, that, that we discussed, you know, where he, he was arrested, whether that played into it or not, or it's, you know, kind of almost like a Pauly Shore sort of thing where something is so quirky. Mm-hmm. And so, of the time yeah, that I, when you kind of move on, it, it, it remains of the time. I think it's a good point because yeah, everything like that eventually runs its course. I sure. Think. And, uh, you know, to, to be in character like that, you're only going to have so many, so many jokes, so many laughs or that, that the audience is going to, at some point, what was the, the, the Tom Hanks line is at some point, you know, you're the, you're the, they're looking for the new Tom Hanks, you know, they're mm-hmm. looking for somebody different. It just they just you know recycle you over time. So, but yes, but all that being said, I was glad to go back again, and and I think because I have not really thought about Pee Wee Herman mm-hmm. a whole lot over the years, it was really fresh for me when I went back okay. and watched the movie, and I could almost watch it with some joy, mm-hmm. and so the gags all worked for me because I hadn't seen them for so long, and I and and when when they happened, I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I remember that, but it. To me, it was it was really really funny watching it again. So I'm glad we did it. Yeah, when you lose the you know when when you see it so many times, you lose the anticipation. Sure. Or the or the, the unknown, 
but it is something cool about watching something you haven't seen in years and then you you kind of lull in and you forget about certain moments and then when you get them it's, it's nice right all right well this week is my turn and uh, going back a, a few episodes and we we're talking about my mixtape from 1982 and i i told the story about how you know our dad took us to go see the movie rocky three and it was really exciting with sylvester stallone and and mr t as clubber lang and i went home and and that from that moment on i decided i wanted to be a tough guy that's what you said and so uh you know that that remains to be seen as whether or not i i met my goal in life but i thought it'd be kind of fun because the gen x era is just polluted okay with tough guys and in, in television I, I felt if, if we tried to do tough guys like in movies and television, right. I don't think we would have had enough time. Yeah, probably not. And I was, you know, I, I, you know, my television viewing definitely dwindled as the as the Gen X era came to a close um, because, you know, the seventies. As you know, we've talked about this before. In the seventies, I watched a lot of television, mm-hmm. and then I was like, you know, through the eighties, so I started to drive. You know, then I started to get more into sports and. I would I would watch television, but not nearly like I did when I was a little kid. Sure, the '90s I had some, uh, for sure. But it for if you we included movies, probably a lot of my my uh, '90s references would have been movie characters. Okay, now I, what I thought would be fun for us to do in this particular episode, and you could play along at home. But if I, I wanted to talk about in the beginning how much different tough guys were from one decade to the next like what was tv's definition of a tough guy like if you you came across somebody on television like would you consider them a tough guy or because to me i thought when it when it came to guys who were like men's men kind of thing i thought it really defined the the 70s really had had a bunch sure and you and i um Right after we we got done wrapping up the one episode, we pulled out YouTube and we put up a clip of one of the guys that we're going to talk about. Oh, he's on my list. Is is Telly Savalas? Mm-hmm. So we'll start we'll start it with we'll start it with him. Okay, Kojak, and uh, you know Kojak was one of those guys that it it wasn't just him acting like he was being a tough guy in real life, and we saw that when we were watching Battle of the Network Stars, where he was the team captain for ABC. Maybe we'll have to do that, folks. We'll have to talk about Battle of the Network Stars because for us that was must-see TV as kids. But at one point we're watching the clip and he's talking to Howard Cosell and he's protesting. Yes. But he's not protesting for ABC. He's protesting for everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's, the way he was delivering his lines to, to Howard and he's like, hey, you know, what's fair is fair. You know, and I just think we need to, you, I think it's being uh, overly, like he was just being, he was like kind of bullying Howard Cosell and Howard just kind of standing there in his blazer and and he's like kind of leaning back and, and Telly's like leaning in the microphone and he was just, he was being a tough guy. Oh, my favorite part was the fact that Telly was cupping a cigarette <laughs> while, while he was talking to Howard. And, you know, I, I think he thought he was like going to go away off camera, takes a puff and then Howard calls him back again. He kind of like lets the puff out and, that that was the 1970s, definitely. So this theme to Kojak. This is the theme to Kojak. And Kojak ran from 1973 to 1978. So I do remember watching it yes. some. I mean, do you? I 
I remember seeing it on TV, but I couldn't tell you any of the episodes. Right, same. Because to me, Tully Savalas was, you know, there are some guys who he could have been Kojak on TV, but you know, he's Tully Savalas. Sure. Right? You know, he's he's all bravado. It's kind of like you know, if Frank Sinatra ever acted in a movie. He's Frank Sinatra. Right. And I think that's there were quite a few people out there like like Telly Savalas that they were who they are no matter what character they were gonna be. And I wanted to start out with, with Kojak because it's gonna it's gonna tie into my first category, subcategory of tough guys, and that is the cop. And I think you would agree that the cop there's a lot of cop tough guys sure. on television, especially yeah. in Gen X. And so we're gonna we're going to kind of sift through the 70s a little bit and then we're going to go into the 80s and then the 90s so i figure we'll break it down by decade okay um but for me uh, the quintessential tough guy cop were two guys in the 1970s one was telly savalas mm-hmm. and who might the other one be that, that you could possibly think of off the top of your head uh beretta ah yeah ding 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 we are in agreement and tell and i uh, i saved the beretta's theme song I just thought... Oh, yeah, there it is. Just just breathe it in for a little bit. That is Sammy Davis Jr. I was going to say that's Sammy. Where's the lid by right there? <laughs> now... As a kid, the only thing I really remember, again, it's one of those shows that I just remember him being, you know, the the, the tough cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't tell you anything about the show. He had a cockatoo named Fred. Well, yes, he did. I, I do remember that. And But what I also remember is he was one of the kid actors on, he was Mickey on The Little Rascals. Sure. And so I was like, wow, he's, 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 so, he's so mean. Um, you know, but he, he's well, he's a tough cop with a heart of gold. He was, and you know the I, I have the dates down on that one from seventy five to seventy eight. I remember this very well. I I watched this show. I re- again, I remember it being on TV. Yeah, but I watched I, this show a lot more than Kojak. See, these shows, a lot of them, you know, we always talked about as as kids, and I'm me being three years younger than you. Uh, there were a lot of shows that came on later, like nine o'clock, yeah, ten o'clock, right. I think Beretta and Kojak fell into that nine o'clock category where I'm probably being shuttled off the bed at some point where I can't really sit there and watch the the whole thing. And I don't know what it's like for our listeners, but I've talked to other people our age where because we had the limited channels, oftentimes you were, you know, much like somebody that would be Coke over Pepsi or, you know, Ford over General Motors or, you know, Chrysler where you were an NBC family, mm-hmm. or you were a CBS family, or an ABC family, and I think for us, because the the local television station that's based in Lancaster is an NBC station, WJAL. So oftentimes, because that's we would watch, our parents would have the news on the local news. It would oftentimes feed into the primetime show, and as a result, we watched a lot more NBC shows growing up than we did sure. other shows, especially CBS. So if it was a CBS show, I we. I know as kids, we didn't watch nearly as much. Okay. Yeah, so those were probably, the for me, uh, you know, there are other cop shows that were on that kind of came to mind, and that was the, 
you know, like um, in the 1970s, Starsky and Hutch. You could even throw Charlie's Angels into that, but I wouldn't put those in the category. Would you consider Starsky and Hutch tough guys? I actually have them on my list. Do you? Okay. I, I do. Because I, I thought about it. I, I debated about whether or not they they would be put on the list because, again, I'm, I'm coming up with these. Like right now I'm doing the cop tough guys, but there are some other guys that where Starsky and Hutch weren't necessarily the guys that would get into a fist fight. They would try and think their way through a situation, but yet they never really got beat up either. And that's kind of what I, uh, my second category, you have the cop tough guy, and then I call it brains first, fist second. Well, you know, with Starsky and Hutch, there was action. Sure, yeah. So, you know, it, you know, as I went back and looked at some of the things that they had, you know, especially Starsky, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Starsky, who was Paul Michael Glazer, he was not what you would consider a physically imposing character. I mean, he kind of wore the sweaters and, but you know, they, they had it where if need be, he would run a chase a guy down. Sure. You know, they, okay. they were always, you know, chasing after people with, with their, their car. And, you know, that was that red and white Ford Grand Torino. That was almost a, another character, kind of like, which another, you know, some other characters that'll be on your list. I think maybe a car like the general Lee, mm-hmm. but it was as much a part of what was going on. There was always going to be a car chase. And so they were slamming guys up against the car and against right. the wall. So to me, you know, hey, they were cops. They're tough guys. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I seriously debated about whether or not I would put them on the list as well. Um, while I mentioned Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. I felt that it would be uh, remiss of me, even though I we're calling it tough guys. Uh, there were a lot of... Um, women that kicked a lot of butt and particularly i think the first one that i can remember as as a as a young kid came on in a tv show in the 1970s and that of course would be of course this wonder woman yeah of course uh, wonder woman starring linda carter right and it was Kind of a, a groundbreaking uh, TV show in that the Wonder Woman cartoon character was every bit as strong as, as a male uh, superhero. Mm-hmm. So to have her actually go out. And I think what it did was it kind of set a trend for these future uh, you know, comics and superheroes where there were more and more women superheroes that came into play and i think it started with wonder woman and there was a bit of a trend going on at this time where you were starting to see superheroes on television i know spider-man had a show you know of course you go back further with with superman you know the classic batman and robin shows so you know there's a lot going on today obviously in movies with with the with all the marvel characters in particular but they it kind of started in a lot of ways with you know with Wonder Woman, as far as the female characters go, and you're right. I mean, Linda Carter. That's that. that that's one of the the quintessential uh, characters from that time. And you know, the the moment you played that, I'm picturing what she looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about. I you know, I wasn't sure what, what Roberta Flack looked like, but I'm not picturing the cartoon Wonder Woman. I'm picturing the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Right. And you know, it kind of kind of shot off some some shows like I, I, we mentioned Charlie's Angels, and another one that was. Only on for a couple of seasons, but I, I think it was very impactful when it came out. Was the Bionic Woman? Well, and actually, I thought that before you played the Wonder Woman theme, I thought you were going to do the Bionic Woman. Okay, because you know she was was the you know the the female version of the Six Million Dollar Man, which 
is also on my list as you know uh, Steve Austin as the uh, the Bionic Man. And of course, the Bionic Woman was Jamie Summers, mm-hmm. who was by uh, Lindsay Wagner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and they, you know, it's kind of similar, um, you know, time frame as far as as when these characters came out. But yeah, you know, although it's kind of changing what you told me that our list was going to be. It was tough guys, not gals, but. <laughs> I, I just I th- wanted to throw a few in sure, there because yeah. well and, and I did write I mean on my list because I do have the six million dollar man down I I wrote the Bionic Woman as right. well and I that's why I had you know that uh, it, it was Jamie Summers right so that you know as as you said we had to give a little bit of a mention to the uh, some of the tough gals and and, and the Wonder Woman was was a tough character yes oh yeah I, she was you know her alter ego um, what was it Diana. But Diana Summers or something like that, and she. But when she was Wonder Woman, she would go out there and uh, she would go out there and solve, fight crime, and and beat up the bad guys. So just like any other superhero out there, but that was one of the first you know tough gals that I could that I could possibly remember. There's another category that came out in the uh, in the 1970s, and there was the real. The character with a heart of gold. So I'll, I'll preface it with that. Now there is the, I think the first one, which may be one of the most famous, uh, you know, tough guy characters from the 1970s, uh, which is which is very ironic when you consider who the actor is that portrayed the, the character. Talking Ralph Mouth, of course, right? Or Potsy. Potsy. Uh-huh. Of course, this is the famous Happy Days mm-hmm. and one of the most iconic figures of the entire decade of the 70s would be Mr. Arthur Fonzarelli, played by Henry Winkler. Uh, you know, the when the show began, he was a hoodlum. Yeah. And slowly his character, well, it wasn't that slowly, it was like within the first couple of seasons, but eventually he became the tough guy with a heart of gold. Sure. So nobody wanted to mess with the Fonz because he was the toughest, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Remember when the Fonz took on the Claw? Do you remember the Claw episode where they all, where the, um, there was a, a local uh, mobster group that wanted to take over Al's restaurant? Okay. So they wanted they had this one of the thugs that worked for the the main guy was named the Claw and he had this iron hand. And they say show him what you could do Claw and he bashes the napkin dispenser. Okay. Yes, I remember that. So then when when they actually go up and fight and the Fonz the Claw goes up and throws a punch at the Fonz and he stops the fist and he bends the fingers down <laughs> and he's like my Claw what are they going to call me and the Fonz goes lefty. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. Well, that's true. I mean, Fonzie, he was, he was somebody that everybody's afraid of on the show. You know, if you got Fonzie mad, or you must, you you know, you mess with Fonzie's office or Fonzie's bike or his jacket, you were in for it. You know, it, and it's the magic. I think it really is the magic of Hollywood or television or whatever you want to call it, because Henry Winkler in in real life, uh, you know, the way he talks and, mm-hmm. and the way, he's he's not a very tall man. No. I think he's probably about our height, you know, right. if not shorter. And, you know, he kind of talks like this. And he's been very, very famous in the Adam Sandler movies. And, and you know, he's just he just seems very different than the, you know, a, you know, the Arthur Fonzarelli character. And I just thought, but 
he may be the poster boy for tough guys of the decade just because of the Arthur, you know, the Fonzie character. Tough guys, but as a little kid, you liked Fonzie. I mean, oh, sure. everybody, you know, in in second and third grade, they they were walking around doing the doing the Fonzie thing, and I remember one of my teachers, and this probably wasn't like second grade or so, you know. He was trying to, it was a music teacher, and he was trying to show us, you know, how to do one of the, the hand symbols for like the do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And he's like showing the, the one, and he's like, he goes, everybody knows what Fonzie does. And he's like, hey. And so we all stick our thumbs up because we were, you know, even at six, seven years old, we knew what Fonzie did. Sure. Yeah. Well, I had a Fonzie t shirt. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And, but yeah, Fonzie was a big, big character in the 1970s. But, he, you know, he, he was the tough guy with a heart of gold. Mm hmm. You know, going to another uh, character that had a heart of gold, and this this show wasn't on for a tremendous amount of time, but I think it's a very memorable character. So, what I want you to do right now, Sean, is I want you to picture Deep inside the forest is a door into the forest and a big giant gentle bear named Ben. And there's this big burly guy, yeah, named Grizzly Adams. Sure, you know Grizzly Adams. The show, the TV show, wasn't on for a long period of time. I was gonna say, I I do not remember the theme. I mean, I totally remember that as a family we watched Grizzly Adams. Right, and but he was he was the guy who kind of shunned civilization, so mm -hmm. he decides to go out into the remote remote forest. And to live by himself, and he kind of cohabitates with the land, and he uh, he he makes friends with the animals, and mm -hmm. it. But yet, if you listen, if you actually read the backstory on Grizzly Adams, the reason that he went out into the forest is because he was accused of murdering somebody. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I read that that it was the that was the backstory. Although he he didn't do it, but he was accused of of killing somebody. And then at the very because it was a TV movie, and the TV movie did so well that they decided to make a show out of it. And then they actually, after the show got canceled, they brought it back a few years later, and then they finished the story. Okay. And that he was able to get redemption uh, going back into civilization and, and got his name, uh, you know, got himself acquitted. So uh, Good for Grizzly Adams. Grizzly Adams, a heart of gold. Yeah, sure. And, you know, the animals loved him. And, and if you can tame a grizzly bear... You know, like he could. I mean, that guy's got talent. All right. So uh, along those lines, now he, this one, I think, falls into the the um, category of brains first, okay. fists second. But another very iconic TV character I'm talking Little House on the Prairie. Sure. Now, I'm, I want to focus more specifically on Pa Ingalls, mm -hmm. Charles Ingalls, who's played by Michael Landon. And But Pa Ingalls, think about his character and how did the guy ever make a mistake, you know, as far as when he was dealing with the people in the in the town? Well, or? you know, he, 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 you know, had some struggles. I mean, that, that was yeah. that was always part of, of a good story. 
is you got to be able to to contrast things. Right. So it, you're not going to bring joy to a, an, to a situation unless you have something negative happen. So there's many a time where, where Charles was down on his luck. Yes, yes. Unforeseen circumstances yeah. seem to seem to impact the Eagles he, family. He a lot. may not. The, the crops may have failed that year. You know, there there was something where he tried his best to deal with people, but things didn't always work out. So yeah, so he may have made some mistakes along the way. You know, with hindsight being twenty twenty, like you know, he may you know have 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 worked somewhere else, and you know, the sawmill. He didn't know the sawmill was going to close down, or or something's going to happen, but. I think he was the example of somebody who was always trying to do his best. And I think so. And and I like the fact that the Pa Ingalls character was, and I think if anybody's ever read the books, uh, Little House on the Prairie, you know, Laura, Laura Ingalls Wilder, that I think she thought very highly of her dad. So she wrote about him in a very loving way mm-hmm. where he seemed to be very thoughtful he seemed to love his family. Yeah, they had struggles, but I think you're right. I think you make a good point about perseverance. Yeah, and he was somebody that, you know, you, you talked about, you know, brains first and brawn second. Where, you know, a lot of what he was doing work-wise was by the, the sweat of his brow. Mm-hmm. You know, whether he's working in the fields, whether he's working at the sawmill. I remember an episode where he's out, you know, breaking up boulders or, you know, where he's, you know, they're having to put like the spike down on the rock and they're pounding, the, pounding that and... Uh, you know, he was somebody that was not afraid to work hard. And for a town, a small town like Walnut Grove, where in Minnesota, where the, the show was set, I think he was somebody that not only his family could depend on, but it seemed like everybody in the town could depend on him as well. He's always seemed to be there for other people. Uh, you know, it just seemed like a, a very admirable person that you could look up to. And to be able to survive in the frontier... You obviously have to have some toughness. However, if you pushed him too far and you messed with his family, Paul was going to come up with his fist cock. That's right. He was not afraid to knock somebody down. Yeah, and he did that quite a lot in, in the various episodes. Yeah, yeah, and you know Michael Landon, who who was so famous even before Little House in the Prairie on Bonanza, mm-hmm. and that was definitely a hard scrabble character. Little Joe, Little Joe, Little Joe was was throwing a lot of punches back then when he wasn't uh flirting with the ladies he was throwing punches yeah so but uh, i think i think for me charles ingles little house on the prairie the uh, brains first fists second but a very admirable uh tough individual not tough on the necessarily where he's going to get into a lot of fights but like you said sean i think it's a good point perseverance and just um it always makes me think back to the to the quote rocky made in in the rocky balboa movie where he talks about getting knocked down by life, and you know, it's not how it's not how you hit; it's how you can get hit and keep moving forward. I think that kind of sums up the show, Little House on the Prairie, in many aspects because of the struggles that they right, but yet they were able to maintain their their togetherness as a family. Right. Yep. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, Paul Angles, he he definitely was not a weak man. All right. Now, uh, I, I want to stay with the brains first fifth second uh category and and this was a very popular tv show and you're starting to get into some of those shows where it's not the cop or maybe they were a cop at one time but now they're kind of in the private sector okay and we and we call those um you know the private investigators which became kind of a a hip thing on tv for a couple of years and i'm 
talking about Jim Rockford mm-hmm. from the Rockford Files. James Garner was the was the main title character, and you know James in real life, very I think he was like six five. He was really tall. Okay, very big guy, very kind of imposing in real life, but it kind of the kind of the charm of any car- character that James Garner played is that they always were very quick witted. Even when he played the character Maverick back in the sixties, mm-hmm. he was always kind of willing to talk his way out of things instead of fighting his way out but if he ever had to he would you know knock the guy out right but that's where i talk about the brains first fist second well i know with rockford files people would always say that it was very realistic to a private investigator it wasn't glamorized like oftentimes you know television and and movies will have it where you know it seems like it's this, this this perfect existence James Gardner, well, you know, Jim Rockford, he basically, he'd take a punch every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'd be times where he'd walk into a house and he'd get hit from, hit from behind and get knocked cold. So, you know, he, they definitely per, uh, portrayed that it wasn't, you know, always roses right. in this world. But yeah, you know, sure, uh, Jim Rockford was was somebody that, uh, you know, as you said, he kind of had that police background. You know, he was, he was dealing with these, you know, you know, dangerous criminals sometimes and difficult situations and you know he's there living in the trailer and his dad's coming around i think i think part of the the allure of a show like that with a private investigator is i think they kind of market it as a place where a private a pi can go somewhere that the police can't well sure he's not restrained by the law exactly i think that's why that the those types of shows kind of had some traction and became pretty popular with somebody like a private investigator you know, uh, you don't really think about private investigators as much today. I think it, during the Gen X era, I think a lot of it had to do with television because the television shows kind of glamorized it. Sure. Hey, Jim Rockford did not need a warrant. That's right. If he wanted to go get some information on somebody. He just broke the window. He picked the lock. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. So that was the, the Rockford files that kind of falls into my, I didn't call him a cop because he wasn't a cop anymore, but that's the brain's first, fist's second category. Um, again, staying in the 1970s because they, they were starting to get some uh, evolving. And I think this was one of the first where, and I, I classify them as the pretty boy tough guy. Okay. Okay. So the pretty boy tough guy, and uh, you know, you already mentioned it, so we might as well just go ahead and play it. Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Of course we're talking about Bo and Luke Duke and the mm-hmm. Dukes of Hazard. And remember, uh, you know, a TV show like the Dukes of Hazard, the only one who could outdrive Bo and Luke Duke might be their cousin Daisy. <laughs> That's correct. Everybody else couldn't couldn't hold a candle to him. Yeah. Except, uh, although you know Uncle Jesse was there to drive pretty good in the pickup truck. But mm-hmm. This was this show was clearly Bo and Luke Duke, um, Tom Wopat, uh, John Schneider, and they were the stars of the show. And they were um, there were a couple of young guys. Tom Wopat was a little bit older than John Schneider, but John Schneider was a baby when this show. started. Oh, he was. Yeah, he was twenty or twenty-one years old. Well, when you talk about being pretty boys, you know John Schneider was the pretty boy. I mean, Bo was the pretty boy. You know, where where Luke I would have be more the your classic kind of 
he would fall he would have fallen into the tough guy category right and i thought about that when i was coming up with my list that do i put bo in the in the list or not but you know what Yes, he was a pretty boy, but he also was somebody when push came to shove, he was willing to throw down. They almost got into a fist fight every every episode. Yeah. Where they got into some kind of fisticuffs with somebody. And, you know, Bo and Luke Duke could always clear the room. They could. So I and I think what it did was it started this this kind of the genre of pretty boy and there's a really good one I'm gonna to get to in a little bit. Okay. okay. But I think that was a precursor to the, the Dukes of Hazard kind of set the stage for uh, a major, major show that came on a little bit later. And I think it, it they kind of made the, it's like, how do you, I don't know, how do you make country living and driving sexy? And and I think, you know, the, the creators of the show, the Dukes of Hazard, they were able to do that by finding a couple young guys and they didn't shy away from their looks. Right. You know, they didn't, they didn't try and, uh, make them look in a way that they dress them down. I mean, they were they were cocky, young, handsome country boys, right? And I think that was kind of the charm of the show. Well, in the show, I, I think one of the earliest episodes. Remember, you know, they have Luke out there with his shirt off. You know, you have Daisy and her, and her the now famous Daisy Dukes, and so they were they were definitely selling the sex appeal on the show. But you know, to me, the the Dukes of Hazard kind of was going along with what was happening at the time with like the Smokey and the Bandit movies, mm-hmm. kind of the same formula. And you you know you you have that charismatic, good looking Burt Reynolds kind of as the main guy, and well here you have two cousins kind of doing the same thing. And there's always going to be some time where they're going to have to put their Dukes up, no, no, no pun intended, and, <laughs> and actually and actually fight. And you're right, it's like it happened every episode. Oh sure. Uh, so there's there's a couple of more I want to do before we close out the 70s. And I think we're spending a lot of time in the 70s because I think it was a very important sort of genre in television in the 1970s to have some form of a tough guy. But uh, there's there's another kind of a tough guy that, and, and again, I talk about the heart of gold. So there's there's two really, really big characters on TV shows, and they both came from CBS. And I would put them in the category of, we're going to call them the yeller with the heart of gold. So you may know, kind of have an idea where I'm going with this, but the first one that comes to mind is um, is the Mary Tyler Moore show. And you want to talk about Lou Grant. So Lou's a tough guy? Well, didn't he try to be? Did, was he yelling he, at Mary all the was, time. Was, he wasn't he always yelling at everybody in the yeah. staff? Yeah, they were scared of him, he was, sure. He was kind of a bully, right? Yeah. In a way, he was kind of a bully. And the other one that comes to mind for me is on the TV show Alice with Mel Sharples. Sure. You know, Mel was a bully. Yeah. And but you know, he he kind of but when you kind of got deep down and you got to know him a little bit, you realize, oh, you know, he's not he's not so he's just that's just his exterior. You know, he's just trying to keep people away. But once you get in, he's got that heart of gold. Well, Flo wouldn't take any guff off of Mel. No, and none of them did. Uh, in the beginning, Vera, Vera, Vera was, Vera was terrified yeah, yeah. Of, of of Mel. But I I think the you know where did the yeller and, and you would occasionally see the yeller character come by the kind of the bully the Danny DeVito in Taxi where he uh, was working behind the uh, the counter mm-hmm. as the dispatcher and he would just bully all the drivers and I think I think a lot of that came from like it wouldn't shock me if that character was kind of conceived from a Lou Grant from the Mary Tyler Moore show. But I think uh, the Lou Grant character sort of set the stage for other shows to follow with that similar type of 
personality. Well, it could be. And also, in the real world, you're more likely to encounter that tough guy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's another, there's another one that I want to talk about as well. And that is the guy who thinks he's a tough guy. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and maybe the most famous guy who thought he was a tough guy, but never seemed to have things go quite his way. One of the most famous TV characters of all time. Of course, unfortunately, it's not the actual version. It's not Archie Neath. It's not anything like Archie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Archie Bunker, the character Archie Bunker, yeah. probably one of the, uh, you know, he's got to be on a Mount Rushmore of the greatest TV characters of all time. Sure. And But every episode, it was about Archie wanting to come home to his kingdom mm-hmm. and have everybody wait on him in hand, hand and foot. Yeah. And nobody would. It just always seemed uh, to fall apart. Now, Edith, Edith, Edith she you know, the moment he'd walk in, she'd start running to that kitchen. She she would, yes, you're, you're right. But you know, everybody around him in life, he never seemed to get the respect that he thought he deserved. Oh, his daughter, Gloria, she wasn't going to give it to him. And, and Meathead certainly wasn't going to give it to him. And then the neighbors, of course, were the Jeffersons mm-hmm. early on. And then George Jefferson, who was exactly like Archie. Sure, a, a black version of Archie. And he's also on my list of a guy who... Thought he was a tough guy, but never seemed to get the respect that everybody uh, that he felt he was justly due. So I, I thought that was that was a good, uh, you know, it's the tough guy that, you know, I think I'm a tough guy, but why doesn't anybody treat me like well, a tough the, guy? You know, Archie, he was the the character. He was a longshoreman, right? Or, he worked it, on the docks. Yeah, yeah, he worked on the docks. So he's doing very physical work, you know, all day long. He's 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 doing man's work, and, and you know, and so he's. He's he's moving things. He's physically moving things. I so think he drove a forklift, but oh, but still, <laughs> but still, you know, at some point he probably had to work his way up to that. But he's still picking things up and putting things down. Now, um, but yeah, that you're right. It's the blue collar, sure. And I'm going to mention another blue collar tough guy a little bit later on uh, as we as we start to work our way into the '80s. But you're right. I think I think there's that blue collar guy that. Uh, Big majority of, of America, the middle class, would identify with because mm-hmm. of what he does for a living. Yeah. You know, the type of career that he has. You know, Archie Bunker, I'm sure he worked on the docks, not because he always dreamed of being a forklift driver, but I think he worked on the docks because he wanted to support his family. It was a good job. And I think that's how a lot of Americans live their lives for, for decades. Yeah, and sometimes... Just to show up to a job like that, you got to be a tough guy, you know, to, to get up and and when you're not feeling well. And if he's working on the docks, it's in New York. It can be cold, it can be hot. So he's, you know, I mean, we're going to a lot of his backstory here that they never talked about. But you know, you can see that the character of Archie probably existed quite a bit. You know, in in real life, there was probably quite a few Archies that were watching the show that. Didn't always get the jokes because they were identifying with him. Sure, yeah. Um, so as far as uh, the you know, the cop tough guy from the 1970s, I thought about adding somebody like Columbo, but oh, I, I, yeah, I I wouldn't I really consider yeah. him 
that they would be a tough guy. I would, because there's a category that I would like to add into the 1980s, which is called the nerdy tough guy. And I didn't know if Columbo would kind of fit into that category, but uh, I, a guy like Columbo probably doesn't make doesn't make my list. No, what what made Columbo tough was his badge, right? You know, and, and the fact he had the law behind him. And you know, I guess that's true because there's a lot of times where you could say that somebody like you watch like the some of the gangster movies where the guy who's the head of the organization might be a frail old man, mm-hmm. and he's tough. Yes, but he's not physically tough. Right. So maybe that's a, maybe that's where Columbo falls into that where he was he was tough with people, you know, he wasn't going to let anybody off the hook. Oh, just one just one more thing, one yeah. more thing. Yeah. Oh, and just one more thing. Yeah, yeah, he's like I'm looking you think you you think you're going to go away, but I got you. You're going to stay here a little bit. All right. So the last thing I wanted to do from the 1970s was the business tough guy. And I don't know if if this fell into your uh, radar or not, but I want to talk about a character like a J.R. Ewing. Where J.R. Ewing wasn't going to take anybody apart with his fists. But J.R. Ewing uh, ruined a lot of lives on the show Dallas. Sure. And I think that uh, you know he was maybe one of the more iconic tough guys of his era on, t- on TV. Again, another CBS character. Mm-hmm. They really seem to love these, uh, you know, these, these very machismo kind of guy actors and these characters, because a lot of these do come from CBS. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I mentioned that, you know, early on we probably watched NBC more, but as the 70s turned into the 80s, we we were starting to watch those CBS shows. And I think the first show that really got us hooked was the Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, you would watch the other programming, which was why they would stack their shows right. on certain nights. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Because it would introduce you. I never would have watched Dallas probably had it not been on after the Dukes of Hazzard. Sure. Yeah, so that's a good point. But, uh, you know, J.R. Ewing and and Dallas, there were so many so many things that happened. And he really was kind of a, a cutting-edge character in his own right because it leads into another business tough guy that I would – since we're going from the 70s into the 80s, I would talk about uh, Blake Carrington on the show Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Same, well, put not the same type of character because I don't think anybody really hits the mark that J.R. Ewing does because he was so ruthless. Well, he was cutthroat. He, was, he, he wasn't necessarily playing by the rules. Right. So a, a character like a, like a Blake Carrington... When you look at uh, Joan Collins' character, Alexis' character, she's probably the more ruthless one on the TV show. But still, you know, a family like that, which deals in such um, opulence with with regards to you know business and fashion and how you dress and everything, and like like you had said, he probably had to be ruthless when it came to dealing with his own family. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Dynasty would would fall into my categories. We start to now to go into the eighties of the business uh, tough guy.
Don't roll the dice if you can't pay the price. No 